my name is Mike Diedrich and I'm a member of Veterans for Peace Chapter 92. And this is the Veterans for Peace radio show, which is broadcast on KODX 96.9. Uh, with me today are two members of uh, Ground Zero, uh, Tom Rogers and uh, Hannah, <laughs> Glenn Milner. And I'll let them introduce themselves and uh, I'll a little bit background on Ground Zero first, to sort of, and then introduce themselves. You want to go first, Tom? Sure. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, my name is Tom Rogers. Uh, I was a uh, career submarine officer uh, and spent 32 years uh, in the Navy. Um, a little on that, uh, I was uh, drafted uh, in 1966 and uh, elected to uh, enlist in the Navy to uh, avoid uh, being uh, inducted into the Army uh, because of uh, the buildup that was occurring in Vietnam at that time. Um, turned out uh, I went into submarines and was really, really good at it. Um, and uh, the Navy started making me offers and uh, I uh, went back to college, uh, got an engineering degree, got a commission, and then uh, spent a, a, another 26 years uh, in the Navy as an officer, uh, commanded a uh, attack submarine, served on several submarines, uh, commanded an attack submarine, uh, was responsible for nuclear weapons at, at essentially every level of my career, and um, then uh, in the later stage of my career, after the end of the Cold War, I uh, developed a conscience and uh, started thinking about uh, nuclear weapons and why we still had them uh, years after the end of the Cold War. Um, I retired uh, as, a, as a captain, Navy captain. Uh, in uh, 1998, and it took me a few years uh, after that to find my way to Ground Zero and have been uh, working uh, with Ground Zero uh, since uh, oh, 2003. So I've been with Ground Zero now for 19 years. I was uh, speaking to a, another group uh, last Sunday and I said, yeah, I've been with Ground Zero for about 19 years. And I think it only took them about 15 years before they started trusting me. So uh, I, I think I've I've uh, I've thrown off my uh, military uh, image completely, and uh, now I'm uh, I'm all ground zero. Happy to be here. Okay, thanks, Tom. Uh, you know, uh, I was I was a uh, draftee myself, and I wasn't smart enough for <laughs> didn't know all my options, but I ended up I ended up enlisting in the army and in a uh, um, sort of a, a bad choice, if that's what you want to call it. I should have just taken the two years and, and gone into the Army, ended up enlisting for almost three years in, in a military intelligence and right in the middle of goddamn war. So, you know, it's, it's all flip of a coin sort of thing. Um, Glenn, do you want to give us a little background on yourself? And I've known Glenn for what, since 30 years. Since this night, a long time, yeah. We were involved in uh, military rec recruitment issues. It, it, well, it's at Shoreline, Sh Shoreline High Schools, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, 
So for me, I'm a little different, uh, I guess. And, and where I was in high school, I was involved with United Farm Workers. Uh, I guess when I was a kid, I used to read a lot. And, you know, I'd send a few bucks, you know, if I had you know, two organizations I supported. And, you know, all of them, of course, would want another donation. Um, but United Farm Workers wanted you. <laughs> they didn't care about your money at all, hardly. They wanted you to come down and help them. So uh, I started in high school there and, uh, you know, worked, you know, when I turned whatever year you're supposed to uh, and uh, sign up for the draft. I don't know. Was that 18, I guess? I think so. Yeah. yeah so I went to the, uh, my high school uh, um, vice principal and asked him how to sign up as a CEO. And he, you know, he said, go to the, um, said, no problem. Go to your draft board. They'll tell, they'll help you. It <laughs> 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 wasn't exactly that way. I had the ever draft board and they, um, they uh, d they did not give CO status out to very many people, and they didn't to me either. But I, you know, I in the end, um, I went through four years of college, had a low number, and I I got a uh, medical deferment. Um, so I was involved in the um, anti-war movement, uh, involved later in the anti-nuclear movement. I got involved in, with Ground Zero. Um, well, I went to some ground zero events, but I got involved in 1984 and I was uh, arrested uh, for the first time, really, for me, um, was the last white train that came in February of 1985. Um, and that was the last white train that carried nuclear weapons into the sub base. Um, in June, we were acquitted. Um, so uh, anyway, I've been involved uh, pretty much ever since. Well, I don't know uh, who's uh, who's the more senior uh, or lifer here in Ground Zero. You, Tom, or, or <laughs> Glenn? That's Certainly, good. Glenn. Uh, well, why don't you give sort of a background to Banger, and then uh, Tom, you can jump in anytime you want to. Uh, sort of a, a lot of people don't know what what Banger and Trident is uh, on the Kitsap Peninsula. Go ahead. Well, I guess first I'd like to say it's it's really nice to be on this radio show. Um, the Vets for Peace is one organization we work with a, a, a lot, and they they're a lot like our organization. You know, they're largely volunteers. They're well, we're all volunteers, yeah. um, and they are out in the streets. You know, which um, we we try and do as much as we can. You know, the last. Uh, Mother's Day action. We had uh, Ray Nakanene. Yeah, he was out, and he has almost. I don't know if you've seen this before. He has like a almost a patented peace sign that he does in the roadway, where he can spin with a piece of chalk and make it like a I don't know five foot diameter circle, and then draw the finished yeah. peace sign up, and he can do that in about fifteen seconds, I think. <laughs> And he's just mass produced the yeah. whole highway with these <laughs> peace signs. And then we see Kim Loftus, we see yeah. uh, Albert. Al, and, yeah. So we see, you know, and, and others, you know, um, we see. Um, so it's, it's um, 
And, you know, I know that the Vest for Peace also is for the elimination of nuclear weapons. I mean, very similar. Um, I think their attitude and is very similar to, to ours yeah. to, to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, the way, um, so the way Ground Zero started um, was the, the founding person. If, if this is okay to start this far Absolutely. back, but, <laughs> was uh, Bob Aldridge. And Bob was a World War II veteran. He was in the Philippines and he was artillery and it actually affected his hearing. Um, but he was, he was kind of proud of, of being, um, of what he went through, I guess. I don't know exactly how he would put it. When Bob um, got out of, you know, after World War II, he went to college like a lot of people did. He got an um, engineering degree and he ended up working for uh, Lockheed Missiles in Space. And he lived in Santa Clara, California, almost his whole life, I think, you know. Um, and he became a design engineer for the Polaris, Polaris and the Trident missile systems. Um, he was also a Catholic and he, and he tried to uh, live his faith. Um, he was involved in the Catholic church. Well, he started to realize in the early 70s, or maybe sooner, was the fact that the Trident missile system um, was becoming more and more accurate. And he started to realize that what the public was being told about this missile system was not what he was doing, what, what they were doing. And he, he, you know, one of his first books, he's written a, a lot of books, you know, after he left, but he wrote the book First Strike. And that's what he was, he was calling it was it was capability for these, the, miss, the Trident missiles to hit uh, Soviet uh, sites nuclear sites and take them out um, with the first strike. And hopefully, I guess the plan is, is that you get enough of them that it, the retaliatory strike wouldn't be that bad. Um, in 1972, August 1972, Bob went to a trial. He, he was representing a religious group that he was with. He went to a trial in Hawaii, and it was Jim Douglas was one of two, one of three defendants in this trial. And what Jim had done is he went on uh, Hickam Air Base, and they were able to. I mean, the story is just crazy. This he went to Hickam Air, Air Base twice. He went in there once, and he asked. Um, you know, where are the top, you know, basically where are the top secret files that have the bombing, that, you know, the targeting information for, you know, the Vietnam War. And they pointed him right to the place. So he went there and then he decided, well, I'm going to go back again. And he did. And he had a letter to the commander of the base that he wanted to deliver. And they took him into the area again where the secret files were. And he handed the letter to the guy at the desk and he went to give the letter to the commander. In the meantime, Jim is pouring blood over the files and he was arrested. Yeah. And that was, that was, so he's on, so, so um, Bob Aldridge was at, the, at this, and, you know, he went to the trial and he was, went to 
in the evening, they would have speakers and they had a couple Nuremberg prosecutors there. And uh, Bob Baldridge was, you know, on a panel with them and he was really actually not able to, to speak. He was pretty overwhelmed by the whole thing. Um, in January 1973, then not long afterwards, Bob quit his job at Lockheed. And he, um, he talked to his coworkers a lot about it. Um, they understood where he was at. Most of them who worked at Lockheed, you know, there were some that agreed with him that this was a dangerous system. They all knew how many, I mean, they always, always knew how many millions would be killed if it was used. But most of his fellow engineers believed um, not likely, not likely they'd, they'd use it. But Bob wasn't so sure he quit. Quit his job. And uh, about a year later, then he looked up Jim and Douglas and Jim and Shelley. And at the then they were living in British Columbia. And Bob, they never talked about this before because Jim really never talked to him at the trial. Um, but Bob explained um, what the tried system was um, and then told them, well, you know where it's going to be built is just across the water here at Bangor. And that's um, Jim and Shelley and the others tried to figure out how to address this. And eventually they ended up moving um, to Kisap County. Um, they so. So here's the start of Ground Zero. Ground Zero was formed in 1977. Um, and it's, you know, it's evolved. Um, it's involved in a lot of uh, different activities. You know, uh, leafleting was always a big thing. You know, the, the fact that Bob Aldridge, a, a missile designer, was the one who, you know, told people about this was always in the minds, I mean, I wasn't there, but it, we still act the same way. We try and reach across the fence all the time. We see the importance of um, trying to um, make the connection to people working on the base, um, the connection with the Navy, Navy sailors. Um, you know, one of our, one of the things that we do is, is we've actually probably run this a couple, two or, or more times a year, is what's called an appeal to Navy personnel that we put in, it's a full page ad um, in the Kitsap Sun, and which is the newspaper that is um, in the area. So, you know, it's pretty hard to avoid that newspaper if, you're, if you live in Kitsap County. But the appeal is, you know, for, people in the Navy to follow, you know, don't follow illegal orders, you know, and, and, and don't, you know, basically we're asking them not to, to um, launch their weapons. And Bob, what Bob said, Bob signed that uh, appeal to Navy personnel. This has a bunch of signatures on it. And Bob insisted, yeah, I was the one who was taking names of Bob <laughs> and, and what, or, you know, the idea was what peace organization do you work for? Bob wanted to be a World War II veteran. And I wasn't going to argue with him at all. <laughs> I thought, okay, you're the only one listed that way. But Bob died in the end of uh, April of this year. He was 96. 
And earlier that month in, in April, I was, Bob sent me an email and there, there had been a, some discussion about what people should be doing. And he told me just a couple of weeks before he died that the appeal to Navy personnel was, he was really proud to be on that. And he really thought it was important to, to try to reach uh, the people involved, the people involved in this activity. Um, so anyway, I think I should let Tom talk for a while. <laughs> for a while. Yeah, <laughs> but I guess the whole thing, you know, it's so remarkable with, you know, what, what Bob did to, in 1983, you know, a lot of people thought the Cold War was over, and but Bob didn't think so. He upped his game in 1993. He started putting out a he put out a three ring binder that was you know hundreds of pages on the Trident. It was called the Trident Resistors Handbook, and uh, and he would send you up, updated versions of. He tell you what pages to take out of his notebook and which ones to put in. He's, he saw the Trident as serious threat. It would never, they'd never stop. Um, and he, you know, set out to keep everyone informed so they could do the work. Well, um, thanks for that, Glenn. You know, the uh, tri uh, the uh, anti-nuclear movement generally, and the Ground Zero in particular, is lucky to have his uh, participation record of his participation, but also Tom, who was a commander, a, a Navy, uh, well, we used to call it an Army Lifer, but uh, a, uh, <laughs> a career, career, career Navy uh, officer. And maybe you can sort of get a little bit more to it. Yeah, you were, you commanded nuclear uh, subs, Trident subs, or just- Not a Trident. I, tr I commanded uh, a uh, an attack submarine uh, and served on uh, several other submarines, including one uh, ballistic missile submarine. It was a, a Poseidon, pre-Trident. Right, but, but a nuclear-armed sub. Oh, yeah. And, and all of them uh, that I served on were nuclear-armed. It was just uh, uh, one that had uh, sea-launched ballistic missiles, uh, Poseidon missile. So can you, you just describe that sort of uh, that evolution between the Poseidon and the Trident, you know, and, and how much... Uh, you know, sort of, without getting too technical, how how lethal and how crazy that is, if that's the right word. Well, yeah, uh, one of the one of the uh, concepts that um, uh, one has to uh, understand is um, first strike, second strike, and. Um, the reason for a first strike, as Glenn pointed out, is to take out uh, your adversary's ICBMs, the, the missiles, land-based missiles that are sitting in silos. Um, if you have detection systems, which the great powers have, then you can detect when the other guy launches his first strike and in order to not lose your missiles, there is a great pressure to launch them in response before they're taken out by the first strike. So that's your second strike. Uh, and the second strike isn't 
targeted on the adversary's missile silos because they're all empty. So what do you do with Second Strike? Well, Second Strike is designed to take out the nation's ability to exist. Second Strike is population centers, is major military centers. And I had a friend who was an Air Force uh, missile officer who um, resigned uh, once he understood what Second Strike was. Um, because Second Strike is, is barbaric, far worse than First Strike. Um, and uh, so um, even though Trident has the accuracy, especially Trident 2 D5, uh, the um, improved Trident 2 D5, which is out now, um, they say uh, it used to be that Trident would be able to hit uh, Yankee Stadium and now they say Trident 2 D5 improved will hit the pitcher's mound. It's designed to hit the other guy's missile silos. But it also has the capability, if those missile silos are empty, to be instantaneously retargeted to population centers to transition from a first strike to a second strike. So, um, and, and I have every reason to believe the Russians have the same philosophy um, th that uh, if anybody launches, uh, it's the end of, of civilization as we know it. Uh, and that's why we can't let that happen. And the, because of the severe time constraint between detection of a launch and retaliation is based on how long it takes the missiles to get to the ICBM silos, then uh, the decision-making process is nil. I mean, it, 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 it it's, takes some period of time to detect a launch and then to believe it, and then to tell the president we're being attacked and the president, you know, wakes up in the middle of the night. Um, there's, there's, there's Joe, sleepy Joe, waking up in the middle of the night. He doesn't even get a chance to take a leak. I mean, it's, he, it, he's there, they're there with the football saying, we got to put the codes in now or else all our missiles will be uh, destroyed on the ground. And so there goes the, uh, the code and, uh, and the order to launch is instantaneous. And those ICBMs sitting in their silos are manned 24 hours a day, and they can launch in 10, 15 minutes. Well, Trident submarine, uh, they can launch in maybe 15, 20 minutes. It's crazy. But the Trident submarines have some sort of a not vulnerability, but they are, are more difficult to hit, track, and, and uh, destroy. Exactly. You cannot target, yeah. you cannot target uh, the Trident system uh, in a first strike. No, so, yeah. so Trident, if you're going to say Trident is not, a, is not a first strike, you know, we keep making this pledge or asking Congress to pledge that we'll never do a first strike. Well, so what? I mean, yeah, we're going to do second strike. We're just going to kill millions of people. 
we don't care about taking out the other guy's missiles. We're going to kill millions of people. Now, it's, is, is that the, actually the nuclear strategy for this country now? What is, what is, is that exactly the nuclear strategy? If, if you, don't, if you uh, have pledged not to uh, first strike, which there's, I don't think that that exists today, but there is legislation uh, that, that says that uh, we will not use nuclear weapons first. Um, and if we don't use nuclear weapons first, that means we use nuclear weapons second. And <laughs> it's sort of a mood argument, right? Well, if you're using nuclear weapons second, then you don't bother to shoot or target the other guy's nuclear weapons. Okay. Now, now at the same time, I, I'm getting a, a little uh, crazy here, but uh, I was an attack submarine commanding officer. I spent uh, the latter part of my career in attack submarines. And the number one mission for attack submarines is to track uh, Soviet and now Russian ballistic missile submarines and be ready to kill them before they can launch their missiles. So I can't tell you how many, how many months of my life I've spent in contact with, with Russian ballistic missile submarines ready to kill them, torpedo them, uh, if uh, the war starts before they can shoot their missiles. I don't think that the Russians have that capability to track our tridents because they're so quiet, but um, that was our mission. That was my mission. And uh, it was it was very serious. That's what we did. Well, how likely would the U.S. submarine forces be able to actually target uh, Soviet subs? I can't talk to what we can do right now, but but. Uh, 25 years ago, when I, well, let's see, when was I, I was in command from 88 to 91, and I can comment on stuff after that, uh, but the, the Cold War ended in 91. But back then, uh, we always had a, an attack submarine off both the east and west coasts of the Soviet Union, uh, off their submarine bases, and if a ballistic missile submarine went to sea, we went with it. And we stayed with it as long as we could stay with it. And um, actually, we would uh, target it, and, and uh, we used to call it a constructive kill, where uh, we would put a, a solution into a, a computer and say, okay, if, if we had to kill that submarine right now, we could do it. And we would record that about once a day. Well, you know, my other sort of concern is not just my concern, but what, I mean, what is the chain of command for using nuclear weapons? I mean, you've got these officers sitting in silos and also in subs. Uh, we've also got a stack or what used to be SAC, these have got Air Force uh, uh, bombers, uh, modern bombers. Now, uh, I'm thinking of uh, you know the. Uh, um, um, okay, let me talk about what what the the, the chain the release authority comes from one man, the president. Uh, when the president gives the order to initiate the war plan, 
a message goes directly from the White House or wherever the president happens to be to the National um, Military Command Center in the Pentagon, which is always manned by either a general or an admiral, 24-7, and he's got a small staff, and their job is to get the message from the president and transmit it directly, read directly and instantly to every launch platform that we have. So it goes directly from the National Military Command Center to each submarine and each missile silo and each bomber to launch weapons without anybody else in the chain of command. Of course, the other people in the chain of command get the same message, but they get it concurrently. It's not consecutively. And that's how you get the rapid response that the war plan calls for. So, you know, one crazy guy uh, can start the whole thing and there's really nobody who can stop it. And if you believe that that one admiral or general, one star admiral or general sitting in the command center in the Pentagon is going to stop the war because Trump's crazy, that's not going to happen. Our system is based on the, the commander in chief having the ultimate authority to launch nuclear weapons. Well, that's even worse. Scares the shit out of me. <laughs> we get a new commander every four years, you know, right. um, or that he might be reelected. But I mean, I figured that once. I mean, it's a, at least a dozen different presidents since World War II. And, you know, which one is the insane one? It's kind of hard to figure out which one's crazier than the other. <laughs> Well, I would imagine the all the armed services, service, the Navy, Air Force, et cetera, even the, uh, the silo commanders, they have they have to be sure that these people who actually push the button, they actually the commanders on the ground, like the sub commander, the silo commander, or a, a wing commander, will do do exactly that. I'm I I have not been commanding officer of a Trident submarine. But I understand that the commanding officers of Trident submarines take an oath that if they receive an order to launch, they will launch. And, you know, other commanding officers don't take that kind of oath. That's just that's very specific and unique to. Uh, the commanders of the ballistic missile or strategic uh, weapon uh, platforms, and and I and I gotta believe that that they'll do that. Is it usually you've got two people who have to sort of pull the switches? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there's two two sets of keys in a in a in the Trident system. There's two sets of keys, and I presume. You know, if I if all the movies I watch are, are, are accurate, this, the same thing goes on in the missile silos and the bombers. Well, you know, considering that the, our the former president was, uh, you know, had some some liabilities with that sort of thing, uh, it puts this, this country in somewhat of a, a strange. But you know, you would hope that the Russians have have more sane people involved in this sort of decision-making, but you never know. Oh. 
um, because it also there's this first strike, second strike, strike sort of thing. He says, well, if, if we think that they uh, have launched their missiles or we have intelligence or electronic indication that they have, even though it may not be the case, once you pull that trigger, that lever, there you go. It's called launch on warning. Yeah. Is, 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 uh, and, and I have every reason to believe that uh, the Russians have, have that same thing because there's a common urgency to not have your missiles destroyed in their silos. <laughs> Use them or lose them. And that forces that sense of urgency, which forces uh, a very, very abbreviated decision-making process. Now, is it your opinion or in Glenn's opinion that, 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 uh, that politicians, including say Washington state politicians, we've got two Senate senior senators and, and uh, eight, seven or eight representatives who are, uh, would be sitting on the ground when Russian missiles came in, did they actually know that the sort of sequence of this sort of thing and how close it is to be, you know, once you pull the trigger, there it is. There's no, doesn't make any difference first strike, second strike. It's, it's like going to happen, even on a false positive, as we say. How, 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 how up, how much, how, how knowledgeable are politicians about this actually, do you think? I mean, they should be. I mean, that's their, their job. If they understand mm -hmm. how their government works at all, they would know who the commander in chief is. Yeah, well, yeah. But I mean, the, one of the provisions of the, uh, uh, the uh, treaty on the non-proliferation nuclear weapons requires that for that to be enforced, the nuclear weapon countries have to validate the treaty. But that in this country is done through the legislative process, and that would be the Senate and the House of Representatives. They have to validate the treaty. How many of those people do you think are actually knowledgeable or are they bought into the sort of thing we have to do this before they do it? You know, or that nuclear weapons are are just another arsenal, part of the arsenal. That's all done. The strategic piece is all done. Um, the, the process of launch on warning is baked into the way strategic weapons work. And it's, again, this whole process happens in, in a matter of minutes. Now, if we're talking about using weapons, nuclear weapons, in a conflict, then you've got uh, senior military people, Joint Chiefs of Staff, you've got uh, politicians, you've got the um secretary of defense they're all involved in that sort of thing um it, but but trident is not what that's about trident is about being able to destroy humanity uh at a moment's notice and and that's why it's so dangerous but, you know, we're using a lot of time here that uh, we were going to talk about ground zero before we, we really get into the nuts well, and bolts. Well, did an introduction there. We go ahead and, and fill out some more uh, um, background to ground zero, please. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, ground zero today, um, 
is primarily a grassroots local organization whose uh, purpose is to raise awareness about uh, the consequences of nuclear weapons and nuclear war. Um, and, and we do that uh, in, in lots of different ways. Um, and uh, most of them are um, pretty well known. We, we do uh, nonviolent direct actions a couple of times a year where we uh, go to the base and do a demonstration and symbolically close the base by, by blocking the access road. Uh, we do uh, leafleting, uh, as Glenn points out, uh, at the base to try to uh, get the message out to the people who work on the base and the sailors. Uh, we do bannering uh, in Seattle uh, at, uh, I think, uh, over uh, what, 45th Street. Uh, yeah, I-5. Yeah, over I-5 at rush hour. Uh, we do the newspaper public service announcements twice a year. With, with various messages. The, uh, the one that uh, Glenn pointed out was the uh, appeal to Navy personnel. And, and the headline on that reads, brothers and sisters in the Navy refuse to engage in nuclear annihilation. And then below that, it talks about uh, your obligation not to carry out an illegal order and, and stuff uh, then that supports that. What's an illegal order? Are nuclear weapons, in fact, illegal? And um, it, it's uh, a very, very powerful, powerful statement, uh, that one in particular, but we, we have other ads that we do. Um, uh, we d used to do billboards and bus ads. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass that one uh, back to uh, Glenn because uh, he's got much more history on uh, what is going on with that right now uh, because we're being censored uh, in the the billboard and and bus ad uh, regime. You want to talk about that, Glenn? Yeah, we started. Um... I don't know what year that was with the uh, bus ads. Um, it would have been 2016. Uh, we started um, the bus ad, which basically we're trying to tell people in the Peach Sound area that Bangor exists. I mean, we've wondered how many people are aware of the Trident base. I mean, it might be maybe 10% in Seattle. And, and it's probably a pretty low percentage yeah. even in Kitsap County. Yeah, maybe lower than that. So we started running ads um, 2016. It, we had to convince the bus company, you know, Metro, that our ads were accurate. We had to have Hans Christensen with uh, Federation of American Scientists explain that what we were saying that the largest concentration of deployed nuclear weapons were at was at Bangor. So we had those for three years and we were, um, the last one was 2018. They changed their bus ad policies um, to finally to exclude all nonprofits. You know, they tried to, I don't, I don't know if it was, they did it just for us, um, but they, they wanted to avoid uh, future lawsuits 
I guess, is is one of the things they they seem concerned about. Um, I started writing about the history. I started writing an article on what happened to those ground zero bus ads, and and actually the bus ads were really um, they were really effective. What we found were like newspaper writers and different media people in King County were starting to to say exactly that the largest uh, concentration of deployed nuclear weapons in the U.S. They were we were seeing that coming up. Um, there was a whatever it is. The Northwest Magazine, the Seattle Times had a really nice article on that with Ron Judd wrote that, um, and it was really having it was it was worth doing. It was it was good um, to do that. Um, so I started writing this article. What happened to the Ground Zero bus ads, and I got stuck on, uh, you know, basically where we're at as a society, you know, you know propaganda. Um, and, you know, I was trying to describe the importance of the bus ad, how we're, you know, what we try and do is break through the, the common narrative, you know, and the, and the common narrative is there's nothing to worry about. You know, we have experts in charge of all these nuclear weapons and you don't have to worry about a thing. You know, we just need to start paying more money every year to make sure we have nice, you know, updated, more efficient nuclear weapons. As long as we keep at it, we'll be fine. Um, so anyway, in my article, I got stuck on the fact that, you know, we've been basically told from, you know, the crib till the grave that, um, you know, that militarism is is will work for us, you know, that we can solve things um, using the military with military solutions. Um, so we went to billboards and about the same time we were going with billboards too. What happened um, with the billboards is they we were informed, we, we ran them for a couple of years. Um, and they they tripled the price on us. It was it was like two and a half times or two times. And they said, well, next time it's going to be three times the price. And it was two. So we were censored there as well. Financially, we couldn't. It was it wasn't worth it. Um, so we stopped. You know, I think last year was the last uh, billboard we had. We we do consider the first our first amendment rights on the bus ads and. I don't know if we'll ever uh, do anything with that or not. It's, it all comes down to whether there's a public um, forum. Um, and that's debatable, of course. The, the, the issue of nuclear weapons is actually, um, I don't know if Tom, you know, let's see what Tom thinks, <laughs> is very difficult to, to, it's difficult that we remind each other at Ground Zero to stay focused on it. It's really easy to, it's easy to get sidetracked on different issues. You know, we, we address the Manchester field depot and we try and remind each other, well, that's not really nuclear weapons. And, you know, maybe some of the things that see fair aren't totally directly related. So we remind each other to get, stay on track. It's an issue that people don't want to look at. Right. And what was unfortunate with Ukraine, you know, we, we thought, you know, you know, that, you know, there'd be a lot of um, focus on nuclear weapons 
with the, the war in the Ukraine, and there, there was, of course, but no one wanted to hear from us, not, <laughs> not many. And you know, some of the so-called experts were actually using the war in, in the Ukraine to advance more nuclear weapons rather than get rid of them, which would be the, you know, the most logical thing that is, this is so dangerous. Because they're but, just tactical. Well, <laughs> well, even even with their strategic, you know, their you know the viewpoint is let the experts handle it. You know, uh, we've got it under control, and and you know we we keep trying. You know, the, we feel the proximity that we have, and 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 like Tom's, you know, like the personal relationship that he has with this issue with nuclear weapons is a form of proximity. And our relationship, I mean, I actually, I worked on the Trident base um, for, I don't know, four months or something like that in 1978. When I was uh, an apprentice electrician, I was told if I didn't go, I was going to be thrown out of the program. I was just told by a board member. So I knew I could get out if I, if I worked there for a short time. And we, you know, I rode in the back of a pickup truck in, into the base and we always, made sure um, that we got a leaflet. So the people were leafleting when we were going in. So if there were people leafleting, we always made the guys in the front of the truck get, get one for us so we could read it. And it was, um, that might be why I'm still involved. I mean, it's just like with Tom, it might be why I'm still involved. I, I don't know. One of the leaflets that I'll never forget was um, was was one where it was just, uh, it wasn't remark. It wasn't remarkably done. You know, it was. It struck me as kind of foolish at the time. But, but I mean, it talked about um, as a father, how would you feel if your daughter died in a nuclear war? Basically, with a crude, you know, semi-crude drawing. And it's one I never forgot. You know, um, so our, you know, we all have experiences like that. We, you drive by, people drive by the base. We're, you know, we're we're so. You know, 20 miles away is, is the sub base. Um, our, you know, Henry Jackson and Magnuson begged to have it here. They pleaded with the Pentagon to have it installed here. Jackson has his own submarine named after him. And, you know, our political leaders want it, you know. So, and, you know, then our political, our, you know, Democratic political leaders, a lot, most of them, and, you know, embrace what's happening there. They embrace, um, you know, $813 billion or whatever amount is going to end up with the Pentagon. So um, I'm, I'm not sure where we're going with that, but our proximity to the base is, is what we try and remind people with. That's what we try to remind people with the bus ad and with the billboards. Well, so Ground Zero is, uh, I mean, would that be the one of the main focuses of your activity that is targeting uh, Navy personnel, people working at the base, and uh, and or the citizens at large through uh, billboards or ads? Uh, and then say politicians is a secondary issue? I, I think you could say that. We do not actively lobby. Um, there are lots of uh, anti-nuclear weapons organizations that are, are based in Washington, D.C., uh, who 
uh, are much better funded than we are. And uh, they do a lot of lobbying. And uh, 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 and now now the, the names of them uh, uh, escape me. Uh, but Kilmer, yeah, I was one. No, I'm talking about uh, the organizations that do the lobbying. Oh, oh right. Um, but we are a member of uh, ICANN, which is the uh, International yeah. Conference Against Nuclear Weapons. I mean, we got the... The, the certificate that says, uh, you know, we have the Nobel Peace Prize. They didn't actually give it to us, but, you know. Uh, but the, the point is, uh, no, uh, we are not lobbyists and uh, are, are just our focus is local. Uh, it's uh, it's um, citizens trying to aware, raise awareness among the electorate, excuse me, the local electorate. And our focus is also, as you said, uh, on, on the Navy, because this is where we live. Yeah. Well, you know, if you, if you accept the old Speaker of the House, Tip O'Neill, says all politics are local, you're doing the right thing here. And uh, I think you are. But also all politics are local. You're talking about local politicians. We've got two heavyweight senators here, uh, experienced people, for them to support or any other member of the, of the Washington State Congressional Delegation to support, for example, the Treaty on the Nuclear Non-Proliferation, to stick their head above the sand and say, I support that. I mean, Pramila Jayapal does. She is the only person I know of the Washington State Delegation that has done so. Um, I think you're referring to the Treaty on the Prohibition Right. of nuclear weapons as opposed to the non-proliferation treaty right no the, the, the latest which is different. Treaty, yeah but it was it was uh, signed off by 140 people 140 nations mm -hmm. none of the nuclear powers signed off on the courts but it is if it is to be approved by this country it has to be approved through the senate house um, and it won't be um it it won't be and and you know, I, I, at some point uh, I, I could talk about that, um, but uh, I, I'm just a couple other things that uh, Ground Zero does. Okay, is uh, uh, we talk, um, we make ourselves. There are several of us who make ourselves available uh, to uh, give talks um, about nuclear weapons, about what's going on at Bangor. Um, and uh, finally, um, we, we do interact with, uh, with coalition partners. Uh, Washington against nuclear weapons is an ally, as is uh, Washington uh, Physicians for Social Responsibility. And Vets for Peace. And Veterans for Peace, yeah. And Veterans for Peace, of yeah. course. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, our Democratic leaders, um, um, you know, the, the formula, of course, is to, you know, promote, um, you know, social issues and always be there for the military. Right. The, the Department of Commerce for Washington State um, well, op has openly stated they call, you know, the, the statement of a power projection platform and, you know, is used in some of their literature, um, is, you know, 
And that is where the civilian assets like our roadways and um, um, waterways, uh, airports are used, can be used to support uh, military deployment. Um, and, you know, they, they actually, there was, you know, didn't pass. I mean, it wasn't that long ago they had a thing. They wanted to set up economic uh, areas around the bases where people, civilians would actually be taxed to make improvements on the roadways going into the bases. So, I mean, that's their, orient I guess that didn't happen, but that's, that's the orientation um, to make Washington state safe and, and, and for the military. To ensure that yeah. the military areas are have what they need. Well, very clearly, Silverdale uh, used to have uh, one traffic light and one two-lane road going through it. And uh, in the 70s, uh, that was when Highway 3, uh, a, a freeway, was built through Silverdale specifically to serve the uh, Bangor Trident base. Um, and uh, I've often uh, suggested that they probably should have changed the name of Silverdale to Jacksonville because uh, uh, that was what it was all about, was getting money into uh, Washington State, military money. And uh, right now, uh, there was just uh, Admiral um, Richard uh, was just in town a few weeks ago uh talking about the trident uh, weapon system upgrade and the uh columbia class submarine which is the um follow-on uh to the the ohio class and he was talking about the hundreds of millions of dollars that that is going to uh, flood into our local economy uh, and it was totally a, a transparent effort to get uh, support from the populace that uh, if you want prosperity, you're going to continue to support uh, this military buildup here in Kitsap County. Yeah. Of course, you know, that's an old concept. Uh, it, was, uh, it still works. I, Eisenhower will propose that the interstate highway system was to help transport of, of mobile. Uh, sure, mobile. and that was all done in the you know in the in the the aftermath of uh, World War II and the Korean War. Uh, but it's it's been seventy years, and uh, we're still still falling for it. Um, it it's it's just wrong. Well, we're probably going to have to curtail the recorded part of this uh, for now, but I, I look forward to having a uh, continue this discussion with another program uh, in the next, within the next few weeks or so. So uh, thank you, Tom and Tom Rogers and Glenn uh, Milner for this very interesting discussion, very informative discussion. We'll see if Mike, uh, Mike McCormick can do something about it and put it up on the air, KODX 96.9. It will also be on VFP 92 on our, on our website. So thank Happy you. Happy to be here, Mike. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Okay.